And I invite you as you're seated to turn in your own copy of God's Word to John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44, as we start our Easter series this morning. Uh, so as I reread John 11, 17 to 44, it kept bringing to mind two conversations, uh, one with my mom and one with my dad. Uh, so I was in middle school at the time, and I didn't talk to my dad very often back then. Uh, but that afternoon I did because one of my best friend's dads had just died from cancer. And so kind of without thinking, I called my own dad when I got home from school. And uh, what you need to know at this point is that I was being discipled into a form of Christianity that saw the death of a Christian, which my friend's dad was, as something to be celebrated rather than mourned. In fact, mourning could be seen as something of a failure. Uh, why aren't you happy there with Jesus? Right? What's wrong with you that you're not uh, celebrating? And that thinking very much shaped how I uh, talked about this with my own dad as I told him how I hoped they got the funeral right in quotation marks and made it a big celebration because that's what my friend's dad would want now that he's in heaven with Jesus. Well, after I get done talking, my dad says, Matt, let me tell you something. Your grandpa Barker buried his entire family, all of them, by the time he was 16 years old. And he taught me that funerals are not for the dead. They're for the living. And then my dad said, Matt, what your friend wants is his dad, but he can't have him right now because he's dead. What your friend has right now is you, and he needs you. The living need the living. And then a couple of days later, as my mom was making a casserole to take to my friend's family, I was talking with her about death and how to help my friend. And she said, Matt, uh, the important thing to remember here is that you have a lot of people around you at funerals. And then after the funeral ends, people leave you and you can be all alone. And it's important that we don't leave them alone. That's what being a good friend means. From John 11, we're going to see two things this morning. The first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is a good friend who doesn't leave us alone, even in grief. He comforts us and he mourns with us because he's with us. The second thing we're going to see is that because of who Jesus is, he can do something that we, the living, cannot do for the dead. He can bring them back to life because he is the living one, the resurrection himself. And as a matter of fact, what you're going to hear is that he can do both of these things because you are going to hear him say this morning, I am the resurrection and the life. So let's read John eleven seventeen to 44. We'll pray and then uh, using Jesus' words, we'll look at four things. We'll look at how Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then we'll look specifically at how Jesus is the life and what that means and then that Jesus is the resurrection. And then finally, we'll hear Jesus call us to give his life and resurrection hope to each other. So let's read now John 11, verses 17 through 44. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Judeans had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know 
that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Judeans who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Judeans who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Judeans said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Thus far, what can only be, truly only be, God's own word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that in your mercy, you would take this a word of blessing and life and that you through your spirit would uh, deliver it to us so that through your spirit we would have ears to hear it minds to understand it and hearts to believe it and so respond in faith and in assurance and in repentance and in trust in you father may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all of our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word may it all be pleasing now in your sight and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part of this super powerful story that I want to focus on is Jesus' statement to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, for a long time, I thought that this was a tautology, which is where you say the same thing in two slightly different ways. So phrases like redundantly repetitive, handsomely attractive, sunny and bright, Right, obviously if it's sunny, it's bright. 
Uh, it's not dark. You can't be handsome without being attractive. And if you're redundant, of course, you're repeating yourself, right? But of course, the, the point of a tautology isn't clarity, it's emphasis, right? Very repetitive, very attractive, a very sunny day. And for a long time, I thought that this was Jesus emphasizing that he is the life or he is the resurrection. Uh, and maybe I was right before, but, but now I actually don't think so. Now I think that Jesus is making a distinction and that he is saying two very important things that are true about himself, that he is both the life and the resurrection from the dead. So as Jesus goes on to say in the second half of verse 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Here Jesus is clearly talking about how he will save us from bodily death. Though he die, yet he will live or shall live. When we believe in Jesus, even though our bodies will die unless he returns, and that can happen anytime he wants as far as I'm concerned, uh, but when we, we believe in Jesus and our bodies die, they will rise again. Right? Jesus is the resurrection. And here's why that's important. God created us as physical beings. He gave us bodies with hands and feet and eyes and mouths and ears. And in doing that, he forever shaped the way that we give and receive love. We give love by speaking to one another and by hugging each other. Uh, we kiss our kids goodnight, and sorry kids, we also kiss our spouses, right? Uh, in some countries, friends kiss each other on the cheek, and that's why I will never go there. Uh, we shake hands, we listen, we walk side by side, right? Without those things, we are missing a fundamental part of human love. It's what made the lockdown and everything that came with it so hard. We are not created to be isolated or to love at a distance. And we are not created to have virtual relationships. I'm a huge fan of things like FaceTime and live streaming. They have been giant blessings in my family's own long distance relationships. And they are huge blessings to our church in allowing members who can't be here to participate in worship with us, but they are not perfect replacements. And then to add this, I think our recent experience with all of this shows us why being a disembodied soul is not God's final goal for us, and why in Revelation the souls of dead saints are actually praying to Jesus to raise their bodies back to life. So they're happy with Jesus in heaven, but they aren't fully satisfied. Death has robbed them, and it's robbed us of something wonderful about human love. Because what is the hardest part about death? It's that our physical relationships stop, right? There's no more conversation or hugs. Uh, we want to talk with our dead loved ones. We want to listen to them. We want to hug them. We want to ask them the questions to the, because we don't remember the answers anymore because it's been so long. We want to kiss them and walk with them. We want that. And as we see in Revelation, the saints who have gone before us, they want that back too. Which is why Martha, Jesus wanted Martha and us to know 
that he is the resurrection. He is the one who is going to restore the thing that makes basic human community possible. Our bodies. And he also wants us to know that he is the life. As he goes on to say in verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Since Jesus just talked about our bodies dying, what can he mean that we will never die? Well, he means that death does not stop our life with him. As the Bible tells us, when we have Jesus, we are alive with him. He lives with us here. And when our bodies die and our souls are immediately with Jesus in heaven, we live with him there too. And then when Jesus returns and raises the dead, we live with him on the new heavens and the new earth, which means there is no point in the Christian's life when we are not living with Christ. And though bodily death frustrates our efforts to love one another, it does not frustrate Jesus' efforts to love us or to live with us. Jesus is the life and where he is, there we are. Which brings me then to our second point, which is based on how he interacts with Martha and Mary. And that second point is Jesus is the life. So central to my reading of this interaction is Jesus' statement one chapter earlier in John chapter 10, which is that he came so that we can have life and have it to the full or have it in abundance. Now, I think one of the things that's necessary to have a full life is to be with people who are not just physically around you, but who are also emotionally and spiritually connected to you. Right? So given everything we said about you know, needing to be physically close together, still isn't it true, haven't you ever felt lonely in a crowded room? Yeah? Most people have had the experience that just being physically close to people doesn't mean that your life is automatically full and vibrant. No, it takes connection to those physically close people. Which is why I think God calls us as his people to pursue emotional and spiritual connections by weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, because that the full life that Jesus gives requires us to walk with one another in the various hills and valleys of life like Jesus walks with us. And that's why I think it's important to look briefly at how Jesus walks with Martha and Mary here in our passage. Uh, so we're told that a, a bunch of people had come to mourn the death of Lazarus with Martha and Mary. And we're told in verse 20 that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but that Mary remained seated in the house. Now we know from Luke's gospel that Martha and Mary are sisters, and that they are very different personalities. Martha is someone who likes to make things happen. She is a fixer. Mary, on the other hand, is not a fixer. She's more of a, of a thinker. So Mary is going to be someone who bottles things up inside. Martha is going to be someone who lets them out which explains these two responses. When Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she's going to meet Jesus and try to get him to fix it. 
which is what I think she means when she says, even now I know that God will grant you whatever you ask for. Isn't there a prayer you can pray? Isn't there a way that you can fix this thing? Whereas Mary stays in the house because she seems to be lost in thought and in grief. And I do not think that we are supposed to see that one response is better than the other. It's not that Martha loves Jesus more than Mary. Uh, I think what we're seeing is that when something tragic happens, people respond in different ways. So Martha goes to Jesus, and she brings with him her struggle with the death of her brother. And I think there is something, maybe a little bit of an accusation, when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that, by the way, is true. Uh, we didn't read it, but earlier on in John chapter 11, the text tells us that Jesus intentionally waited two days because he didn't want to get there in time to, to save Lazarus from death. He had other plans, as we can see. And in that accusation of Martha, I think we can hear ourselves when we mourn the death of people that we love. Jesus, if you would just return, this wouldn't have happened. If you had just stopped Adam and Eve from eating the fruit, this wouldn't have happened. If you had done whatever, this wouldn't have happened. Right? There's frustration there. There's anger there. And Martha, being who she is, from we know from the Gospels, she's going to vent it. She's going to let Jesus know what he should have done. And then Jesus tells Martha, as we've seen, that he is the resurrection and the life. In the light of everything that we said these verses mean, can't we say that part of what Jesus is doing in this statement is asking Martha a question? I think he's asking her in making this statement, do you trust me? Do you trust me to take care of Lazarus now that he's dead? Do you trust me to take care of you in your sadness and in your grief? Do you believe that I love you and am here with you in your sadness, even if I don't fix it? And do you believe that I love Lazarus and am living with him right now in glory, taking care of him? See, Martha's grief is coming out in this desire to make everything better. And Jesus is telling Martha, you can rest in me. You can trust me because I'm here for you. And isn't that a great response? Jesus doesn't rebuke her for her anger. He says, I understand, and I've got you. I've got your brother. I live with both of you. I'm helping both of you as you need. I am the resurrection and the life. He's comforting her in her sorrow and in her grief. And do you see Martha's response? She says, I believe. I believe you're God. I believe you're the Christ. I believe that you are alive with my brother. And I believe that you are here with me. I trust that you are here with me in my grief and with my brother in glory. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Martha needed, right? She needed someone to listen, to hear, and then to give assurance. It doesn't need to be fixed yet because God has got it taken care of. And then after this, Jesus wants to bring comfort to Mary. And so we read in verses 28 to 29, and when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
So like we've seen, Martha doesn't have any problems sharing things with Jesus. She probably didn't have a lot of problems sharing with a bunch of people. Mary does. Right? Mary is not Mary is someone who is going to get locked in her thoughts and in her emotions. And that is not a good place to be when you are grieving and mourning. Uh, so Jesus helps her by calling her to him. Uh, now, the reason why I think Jesus calls her to him rather than going to her is, I think, because Jesus knows that it's good for Mary just to get up and move. Some people can get stuck in grief, right? They won't get out of bed. They won't get out of the couch. By calling her to him, Jesus is having her do something that is spiritually and emotionally and mentally good for her to do. And in this, I think you can see that Jesus is already giving her his life. He, in living with her, he understands her, he understands her needs, and he works to meet those needs in that particular instance in a way that's unique to her. Now, what's interesting about what happens next is that we don't read really about a conversation with Mary. All we read about is grief. That's verses 31 to 33. When the Judeans who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Judeans who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So you can see here that Mary makes the exact same statement that Martha makes, only she doesn't ask Jesus to fix it. And I, and I don't know, honestly, if that's important or not. I'm not sure if she thinks Jesus can't fix it or won't fix it. I don't know if it's an accusation. It could also simply just be lamenting that Jesus wasn't there, but trust him to fix it. I don't know. Whatever it means or, or doesn't mean, what we do clearly know, though, is that Mary is full of sadness. We also know that she's someone who bottles it up. And here she is letting it out, telling Jesus what she's feeling, weeping at his feet. And then what we see is Jesus joins Mary and those with her in being angry at death and filled with grief over what death has done to their relationship with Lazarus. When we read that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, it means that he became angry. He's angry at death. He's angry at the broken relationships. Jesus doesn't stand aloof from our suffering. He doesn't yawn at death. He doesn't even fall back on the fact that the dead saints are with him in heaven. He joins us in our own anger and frustration and in our own tears, right? Verse 35, one of the most famous verses, if not the most famous in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus joins Mary with what she needs. And whereas I think Martha needed comfort from Jesus, right? I, Martha, I've, I've got you. I've got your brother. It's okay. I think Mary just needed someone to lament with her, to weep with her, to be angry with her, to, we would say today, to validate her feelings and to join in with her that this is tragic and sad and you are okay to feel this way. Uh, private people don't share their feelings very easily with others. And here she's opened up her sorrow and anger to Jesus, and Jesus has joined her in her sorrow and anger. So here in John 11, I think we can see that when Jesus says 
that he is the life and that he comes so that we can have life to the full, that part of what he means is that he shares himself with us. We have his friendship. We have his presence. We have his understanding. He connects with us emotionally and spiritually to comfort us and to mourn with us even in death. And he does that to us. I think also it's important to see as individuals. Martha needed something different from him than Mary did. And he met both needs out of the fullness of his own life. He comforted the afflicted and mourned with the grieving. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Uh, because Jesus is not only the life, he's also the resurrection. And that brings us to our, our third point. Because what we're meant to see in John 11 is that Jesus' grief and anger are not powerless. When we grieve and rage at death, nothing happens. The tomb stays closed. When God grieves and rages at death, if I can put it that way, the tomb opens. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, again getting angry, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped, face wrapped with a cloth. So anyone can say, I am the resurrection and the life. Right. Anyone can promise that they'll live with us in heaven. How many cult leaders have made these kinds of promises over the years? But because the promise to live with us in heaven cannot be verified, it can feel empty, right? Who's going to go up there and look and check and make sure it's true? Jesus does not want his promises to us to feel empty or be empty which is why he let Lazarus die, so that he could reveal the glory that is going to come when he raises the dead at his return. And so prove to us that he is the resurrection, and therefore prove to us that he is also the life. Jesus wants us to know that whether we are in the body or out of the body, we are always alive with him. And as Easter approaches, it's good for us to trust that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he's got us, that he's with us, that he will raise us because he wants us to have that full experience of human communion, which he created us to have at the very beginning. I should probably end there, but I have one more point. I think it's important. It's a quick thing I'm going to add here at the end. You may be noticed in verse 44, that Jesus ends with saying, unbind him and let him go. Jesus raised Lazarus from a tomb after being dead for four days. Memorably, the King James has Martha saying, Lord, he stinketh, right? He's been dead four days. 
But Jesus is not the one who unbinds him. He has the crowd unbind him. And that's because, as I've said before, there are things that Jesus does, and there are things that Jesus has us do. Why does Jesus have the crowds remove the grave wrappings when they would have been stinky, gross, probably a little slimy? I mean, it's death. This is not pretty. Here's what I think. And I also think this is important to how we think about the impact that Easter is supposed to have in our daily discipleship. Jesus totally understands what it means to live fully with his people in the mess of sin and death. But ironically, the people who he comes to live with, us, don't. Right, to live fully with each other means embracing the hard, stinky, slimy, smelly parts of people's lives as we help them take off the grave clothes of sin and deal with the hardship of death. But isn't it true that we try to shield ourselves from that struggle and the stench and the difficulty? Isn't it true that we also try to shield others from those things in our lives as well? Uh, it can be hard for us to mourn with people or invite them into mourning, right? That's Mary's difficulty. It can be hard for us to trust that Jesus has got us and then to ensure other people when they are struggling that Jesus has them. That's Martha. And in terms of sin, it's hard to be with people who need unwrapping from the stench of death. That's the crowds. And so Jesus calls us to this task so that we can learn what it means to live fully with each other in the way that Jesus already lives fully with us. And maybe also to encourage us, as I think Jesus does at Lazarus' resurrection, that underneath the stink of death, the bandages, is the beautiful aroma of new life with Christ. So my friends, uh, let's celebrate the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't leave us alone. He will restore our bodies at the resurrection. And let's also follow him in learning how to live in the fullness of Christ's life with each other now, because Jesus is the life. And with him, there is eternal life, and he is with us. Amen? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Thank you that in Jesus, you will raise our bodies back to life. Uh, thank you that through Jesus, you live with us even when we are mourning. And thank you that you are teaching us how to live with each other as you live with us. Uh, please help us to minister your presence to one another. And please help us to encourage one another with your promises so that we can live together in the assurance of salvation which you have given us in Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.